I've heard the words with my own ears, yet I cannot believe it. I must take a few minutes to compose myself, for I run to tell the disciples what I've seen and what I've heard, for they surely won't believe me. They'll think I'm mad. Again, they won't believe me. Why should they believe me? I do not believe myself, all that I've heard and seen this day. Perhaps the demons have come back. People say that I was possessed by seven demons. Those, those were hard times, cloudy times for me. I remember, sometimes my body revealed the anguish my mind was going through. That is, when I first heard of this wandering rabbi called Jesus. They said he had the power to heal, but I had little faith or hope that anyone could help me. <laughs> I was too depressed to have hope in anything then. But the other woman of Magdala were going, so I thought I'd go too. We went to a hillside outside of Magdala where we waited for him to join us. He appeared, surrounded by his twelve chosen. It was a huge crowd, but Everything got quiet when he started to speak. Even though I had not been able to keep my concentration for more than five minutes for years, I felt myself suddenly calm inside, attentive. I don't know quite how he knew me, whether someone had told him or that he saw the pained, crazy look on my face, but he came over and knelt down beside me. I remember I began to tremble just as I am trembling now. But he looked into my eyes and called me my name, just as he did today. I don't know how, but he knew my name. He said, Mary, Mary, be free of your demons. And then, he looked at me with so much love. How could he love me, a stranger? My own family found me unlovable. I found myself unlovable most of the time. But there he stood, and the love shone in his eyes, and tears welled up in mine. That was the moment I knew that he had been the Messiah that we were praying and hoping for. His look of love changed everything for me. I felt whole for the first time in my life, although the demons of fear and anxiety and self-doubt still come back to haunt me like they're doing now. I committed my life to him at that moment. I packed up my things and went to follow him. My family thought I was still crazy. Men could wander around the world traveling and speaking of the reign of God. But if a woman did it, she was crazy possessed. I went anyway, and I was not the only one. If I was crazy, so was Susanna and Joanna and many other women. And Jesus, he did not send us away. He never told us to go home or be quiet. He welcomed us and taught us as many things about the kingdom of God and what would be required of us. And then he died. There was still so much more I wanted to learn. So much more he had to do. How could they do that? How could our priests, our holy men, blame a sinless man? I was so disgusted at them that night. Hysterical.
hysterical, feeling more out of control since I had since I met him. They paraded him from one court to another until they finally got what they wanted. His crucifixion. And his friends, his noble twelve, they were nowhere to be found. Oh, Peter followed for a while, but when he was afraid that they might turn on him, he too disappeared. They beat him and humiliated him. It seemed like forever he hung there suffering silently. The others were yelling and cursing, but all his thoughts were for us. He told John to take care of his mother. He asked God to forgive those who killed him. Father, he said, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they say I'm crazy. But my grief did make me crazy then. It was terrible, overwhelming. And even though it had been three days ago, the pain has not subsided. The tears come from an unending spring. I can't believe he's dead. I can't believe they would crucify someone so loving, so gentle, as if he were a common criminal. I can't believe... I'm alone again. Or am I? Did I really see an empty tomb? Were there really two angels sitting in his place? Or was it all a dream? A fantasy born of grief? Was that really him who spoke to me? Why would I think he was a guard until I heard his voice? Why would my eyes not recognize my Lord? What if that was really him? What if I'm not crazy? Could it really be true? Could he be alive again? Oh no, my mind is just still so confused, so overwhelmed. <sighs> Was he there? Can't be him. But I know in my heart it was Jesus. He spoke in the same kind, gentle voice that soothed me so long ago. He has risen. Praise be to God, he's the Messiah. My grief has turned to ecstasy, a sign of madness, they will surely tell me. But I know what I saw. But he has risen, and he has told me to go tell the disciples what I have seen and heard. Oh, Jesus, why me? Why have you singled me out from all the others? Is it just because in my grief I cannot stay away from your grave? Is it just coincidence? No. You have chosen me, Master. I feel your call deep within me. I know that you want me to go, flee immediately, and tell the twelve what I have seen and what I have heard. But I can't. I am not the one to speak. Why would anyone believe me, a woman? Someone with my reputation and my illness, cured or not? Why would anyone believe me who cannot even read the Holy Scriptures or write? <clears throat> Oh, 
Dear Jesus, I look at your empty tomb, and I know I cannot keep the secret to myself. You've come back to show us that you have conquered death and that you will never leave us again. This message is for everyone. I must tell someone. I must tell everyone after the way that you have suffered these last three days. Whatever they do to me will be a small price to pay. And there will be others who will believe. They will look at your empty tomb, remember all your promises, and their grief too will turn to joy. I serve a risen Savior. And if I am mad, it is the glorious madness, a madness that will last through all eternity. I go to spread the news. I go. Thank you, Erica. Praise the Lord. I go. Meeting the risen Savior changes the person, doesn't it? Meeting Jesus alive and well changes a person. Mary, the woman portrayed in the monologue by Erica just now, found that truth to be, to be real and to be true and to, and to be transforming. You know, Scripture tells us that when, when Mary met Jesus, he set her free from the control of seven evil spirits. And we saw that, that portrayed in her, in her monologue uh, this morning. That Mary went from demon-possessed to living in the freedom of the risen Savior. She experienced firsthand the power of the reality of the verse that we have been focusing on these past four Sundays of the month of April. If you haven't been with us, there's been one verse we've looked at for four weeks. And it's this, that the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. That that same powerful Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in His followers. And when the Spirit of God dwells and resides within a child of God, it's powerful. We learned something. I've given you a quiz every week of these last three weeks to see if you could answer a one-word answer to a quiz. And it was this, Easter equals what? Easter equals power. Easter, the resurrection, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, that same powerful spirit dwells within the children of God. So Easter equals power. Over the past couple of weeks, we have looked at all kinds of ways, various ways that the Holy Spirit's power can and should affect our lives. And today on Easter Sunday, we want to turn our attention to one more time what it means to be living in the power of the resurrection. This time, living in the power of the resurrection for a transformed life. That's how we baptize people today. Because water baptism symbolizes, it represents a transformation that takes place in a life when a person comes into relationship with Christ. They were, they were living in their sin and they died with Jesus. And then they're risen to new life. That's why we immerse in the water. They're risen, they're resurrected, just as Jesus was, to a brand new life in Christ. You see, I want you to understand today that when Jesus said at the, at the very end of his existence with the disciples, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, that part of the intended effect of that power is to bring transformation into our lives. That part of the Holy Spirit's activity is to transform us into people that are different and better and freer than we ever were before we met Christ. That's some of what we heard today. The reality of when somebody meets Christ, things change. 
something happens that we are, there's a transformation within us through meeting Christ, the resurrected Savior. The power of Easter is about the power of change within us. That's what Easter's power is all about. And today that's what we want to think about. Today that's what I want to discuss um, as we think about the, the power of the resurrection for a transformed life. That I want us to just think of two aspects today of the transformation that comes within us because of the power of the Holy Spirit when we come to meet Christ. We want to look first of all at the power for breaking strongholds in our lives, and then I want to talk about our participation in that transformation that's empowered by the Holy Spirit. So let's think first of all about this this morning, the power for breaking strongholds in our lives. See, Scripture goes to great lengths to teach us that spiritual strongholds can and do exist in the lives of people. If you read your New Testament, or your Old Testament for that matter, but you read your Bible, you will repeatedly read Bible stories of Jesus and his followers confronting and overcoming evil or demonic strongholds in people's lives, like the life of Mary, where she was bound by seven um, spirits, it says, and she met Jesus, and she was released from that. We see the reality of the, of the stronghold. We see the release from the stronghold when the person comes to meet Christ. Understand something. When Jesus stood in a synagogue one day um, in the beginning part of his ministry to declare the intentions of his ministry, this is what he said about himself. He said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, and the recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Jesus proclaimed that his ministry including, included setting people free from oppression and releasing people from captivity. Friends, the captivity and the oppression that he is talking about here is spiritual. Some people have mistaken that over the years to think he was talking about a captivity that is political or economic, but that's not what he's talking about. Not that some of those things won't happen of economic freedom and political freedom when a people group come to Christ. But what he's talking about here that he is going to do is that he would set people free and, and release them from oppression in a spiritual nature. You see, Jesus came to establish his spiritual kingdom his spiritual rule and reign in the lives of people. And to do that in your life and in my life, what he does is he comes in when we come to know him and he defeats and he removes the kingdom of darkness that rules and reigns in the hearts of man before a person knew Christ. That that's what he comes and he does in our lives. And, and you know, I think as a church, we probably understand that to, to a pretty strong degree when we think about transformation that occurs in someone when they come to know Jesus as Savior and Lord. We understand it when it comes to salvation. When God sets a person free from the control of the kingdom of darkness and they come into the kingdom of light, into Christ's kingdom, there is a transformation. There's a deliverance that takes place in the life of that person. It's what we saw in the drama of Mary Magdalene. She was bound by the forces of evil. And in her case, extreme forces. And a lot of times when a person comes to Christ, when they've been greatly bound by, by the extreme forces of evil, it's easy to see the transformation. But friends, in every one of our lives when we come to Christ, there's a release and a transformation that takes place. In her case, release from, from strong demonic oppression 
but there's always that freedom from the forces of evil that comes when we come to Christ. When she met Jesus, He set her free. He released her from the captivity of sin and the captivity of Satan. In reality, friends, that's what salvation really is. It's Satan losing possession of a soul to Jesus. And when that takes place, a person is transformed. Friends, not only are they transformed spiritually, some ways that we can't see. You can't open up a person's heart and, say, and their life and say, I see a spiritual transformation. But what we heard in baptism stories, what we see in the lives of, of Mary and, and in our lives when we come to know Christ, is not only is there a spiritual freedom, but there's also a very, very real life transformation that's experienced when a person comes to Christ. Things and habits and addictions that once controlled the person's life are broken in Christ. Mary went in an instant from demon-controlled to spirit-controlled when the Spirit of God came in to live, came to live within her life. When we come to Christ, we come to freedom. Jesus brings freedom. Isn't that correct? It's correct. In your life, when you come to Christ, Jesus brings freedom. But you say, you know what, Pastor Mark? How come I gave my life to Jesus and I still struggle with issues? How come I gave my life to Christ and you're saying that freedom has come and He came to release the captive and set free the oppressed and and I've given my life to Christ and I've experienced new life in Christ, but still I struggle with with issues. I, I still wrestle with areas in my life that are strongholds. Things still grasp me that I, that I wrestle with and I, I can't seem to get control of. Well, friends, there's something I need you to understand today. There's something that, that you need to just settle in your heart today. And it's this, that the devil hasn't given up on you yet. Satan hasn't given up. That he still does whatever he can to trip you up and to keep you from becoming all that you can be in Christ. Do you know that God has a plan for you that is extraordinarily better than anything you could ever dream up for yourself? And the enemy knows it. You don't even know it at times. We see it by faith, but we don't know what it all entails. But the enemy does all he can to keep you from becoming all that you can be in Christ. He will never stop tempting you. He will never stop trying to get you off track. But here's what I want you to understand today. That as a child of God, you have now what you didn't have before. As a child of God, you have something now that you didn't have before. That you have the power of the Holy Spirit to enable you to overcome. That now as a child of God, you have the power of God Himself resident within you to overcome anything that the enemy brings into your life. Friends, I think the most important thing that you need to know to overcome a stronghold in your life is that the stronghold has been broken in Christ. The stronghold has already been broken in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, and now you are able to live free from it. You see, what I've experienced over the years is that one of the greatest tricks of Satan is to convince you that you are powerless to overcome. You think, well, I couldn't overcome it in the past, and that thing's got a hold of me now, and I can't overcome it now. That's not true. 
You have something now that you didn't have then. You have the power of God Himself within you to help you to overcome. Satan wants to convince you that you're powerless to overcome so that you simply give up and live a substandard existence. Do you know that's possible to be a child of God? Love Him, be on your way to heaven, and just exist? But do you know that's not God's plan for your life? God's plan isn't your, for your life isn't the highlight of your Christian life is just to show up for church. This is wonderful, this is necessary, but God has so much more for you than just a substandard existence. Hear what the Scriptures say about you today. It says this, Greater is He who is in you than he who is in the world. Greater is the power of God and the presence of God that dwells in you than he who is in the world, so no stronghold can keep you down. As a child of God, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. You know what you are? You are an empowered person, empowered to be an overcomer in Christ. As a Spirit-empowered child of God, you know what you get to do when you face a stronghold? You can look at that stronghold and say, you know what? In the name of Jesus, this stronghold is broken. It's a recognition of a fact that the stronghold has been broken. And that you can say, God, set me free from this bond that no longer can hold me down. Set me free, God, I want release from this in Christ's name. As a spirit-empowered child of Christ, you pray for the stronghold to be broken. And you know that it is. You stand on your spiritual authority as a child of God. And you say, devil, greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. You pray for your kids that are wandering. You say, devil, greater is, is he, the spirit of God, to bring that child back than the forces of enemy to drag him away. And you stand upon the authority that you have as a child of God. Friends, God is greater than any stronghold that this world could ever throw at you. And you recognize that as a child of God and you stand upon that Authority, and you, and you understand that the stronghold has already been broken in Jesus' name. But then you know what? There's something more. You don't just understand that you're in Christ and now the power of God's within you and that you, you stand on that and you, and you confess it, you pray, God, that stronghold is broken. But you know what? There's something more that has to be done. And it's this. You need to participate then in the transformation. You need to participate in the transformation that God is doing in your life. You say, well, how do I do that? Well, you know what? The Bible says it in really simple terms. It puts it like this. It puts it like as if we're getting dressed. It says, you know what? You need to put off the old junk and you need to put on the good stuff. Grab your Bibles. We're going to look at one section of Scripture today. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, starting in the first verse. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Give you a minute to find it. Colossians chapter 3. If I was new in my faith and there was a section of Scripture that I wanted to memorize, this would be at the top of the list for me, memorizing this section of Scripture. Colossians 3, starting in verse 1. Look at what it says. It says, Therefore you have been raised up with Christ. That's water baptism, friends. You've been buried with Christ and you've been raised up with Christ. You have been raised up with Christ. Keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. 
When Christ, who is who our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with Him in glory. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and greed, which amount to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in, the, in, in them you also once walked when you were living in them. So it was something from the past. But now, I always tell you if you're from our church, I underline and circle and outline things in my Bible. But now has got a big red box around it in my Bible. It says, but now, and then you is underlined. But now you also put them all aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. Look what it's saying in that text. You know what it's basically saying there? It's saying you play a part in your transformation. It's saying you have a part to play. It shows that at this point, at this point when you have been empowered by the Spirit, you're a child of God, God dwells within you, you understand the reality that greater is He who is in me than he who is in the world. You understand the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead also dwells with you, that God has in Christ broken strongholds and you want to walk in that reality, that at that point in your life, that now it's an act of your will to walk in transformation. That now, God had His part and God always goes first. We can't do spiritual work on our own. God always goes first. He goes first. But then He says, now, it's your part. It's an act of your will. What's He say that you should do? He says, put off or put aside the junk. Verses 8 and now. But now, you say, me. Me. You. You also put them aside. Does it say God's going to do it? No. It says, you put it aside. You put them all aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with his evil practices. It says, you have a part to play in it. You put off, you put aside the junk. You make the choice to stop doing what is destructive. And understand this, friends, you can make the choice because it's, the, its power has been broken and the Spirit of God is residing in you now for you to be an overcomer. It's possible. Where before you knew Christ, it was impossible. You know why um, uh, organizations and ministries like Teen Challenge work? Teen Challenge, a, a drug and alcohol rehab organization that will be here next Sunday doing a presentation. You know why they work? It's not just because of some 12-step program. It's because they get a person in a right relationship with Jesus. And they say the strongholds have been broken. And they empower the person then to take off the old junk and put on a new self. They break, the, they break it first spiritually by having a person come to Christ. They help them understand the reality that they can't overcome. And then they give them practical tools for them to walk it out. That's what this is talking about here. You can make the choice to overcome because the power of that stronghold has been broken and the Spirit of God is enabling you now to be an overcomer. So you put it off first, but you don't stop there. Then it says put it on. You take off the junk and you put on what's good. It says you make the choice to put on or to do what is right. You replace the wrong with the right. You put off the garbage, you put on something better. You turn off the porn channel and you turn on the Christian channel. 
You turn off the junk and you turn on the good. That's a choice that you make. God doesn't make that choice for you. You make the choice. It's up to you. God empowers you to do it, but you have to do it. Look at verse 2. Verse 2 says this, Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. It says you make a choice what you're going to put your energy into. He says you could put your mind on the junk, the things of the earth, but instead you choose to put off the old and to put on the new, and you choose to think on the things that are good and right, to view the things, to take into your life the things that are good and pure. Friends, you choose to do what is right. So God does his part first, and then we do our part. He does his part to set us free, to empower us, and he says, now listen, Mark, do it. Walk in it. I've enabled you to do it. Friends, this is the reality of living in the power of the resurrection for a transformed life. It's God empowering us and us walking in the power of the resurrection. For some of you, you've wrestled with strongholds for a long time. And you say, but you don't know, Pastor Mark, I've tried and tried. I want you to understand today, greater is he who's in you than he who is in the world. You're not an overcomer because of some sermon. You're not an overcomer because of a monologue. You're not an overcomer because you're baptized in water. You're an overcomer because God, if you've asked him into your heart, is empowering you by his spirit to be an overcomer. And you need to walk in that truth and that reality. For some of you, you just need to own the truth today. And understand that God has empowered you. No more excuses. And you say, from this day forward, I'm going to walk in that reality. I'm going to choose to take off the junk and put on the good. It's a choice that we make, and we can make that. Because the Holy Spirit is within you as a child of God, and you are empowered for transformation. Friends, God has a great work that He is accomplishing in you. He's got a great work, and He is accomplishing it in you. Easter equals what? Power. Easter equals power. Easter equals power for a transformed life. That's what God is doing today. Amen? Amen. Would you stand with me today?